Hello and welcome to the TV show. I'm John. And from Chicago's north side, I'm Scotto. And without any further ado, on to this week's show, which is from 1999, Farscape. Farscape is an American-Australian science fiction television series produced originally for the Nine Network in Australia. It premiered in the U.S. on Sci-Fi Channel's Sci-Fi Friday, yes, when it was actually the Sci-Fi Channel, not Stiffy, on yeah. March 19th, 1999, at 8 p.m. Eastern, as their Anchor series. It was conceived by Rockney S. O'Bannon and produced by the Jim Henson Company and Hallmark Entertainment. Wow. Process that combination. <laughs> The Jim Henson Company was responsible for the various alien makeup and prosthetics, and two regular characters, the animatronic puppets Rigel and Pilot, are entirely Creature Shop creations. Although the series was planned for five five seasons, it was abruptly cancelled after production had ended on its fourth season, ending the series on a cliffhanger. Co-producer Brian Henson, son of Jim, later secured the rights to Farscape, paving the way for a three-hour miniseries to wrap up the cliffhanger titled Farscape the, Peach- the Peacekeeper Wars, which Henson directed. Oh, wow. So it did eventually resolve. Um, if, if you know, you decide to watch it and you know, you're not stuck with a cliffhanger. <laughs> That's good. Episode one. Uh, I didn't write down episode titles, did you? Oh, no. Uh, yeah, I okay. decided it's episode one. Yeah, same here. Um, <laughs> Duh. <laughs> I think this is just the premiere. Actually. Yeah, I think this was just pilot or premiere like usual. Um, yeah. I vaguely remember one of the the, the time fuckery one because um, it was back to back to back to the future. Oh, and then I remember the uh, the one with the bugs that was. Uh, oh, fuck. Was it Abandoned Genesis? Something. Okay. I wasn't paying attention. Um, anyway, so this is the setup. Um, we don't do a prop do plot summaries on this one, but basically astronaut attempting this experiment uh, where he uses the Earth's gravity to um, go further into space than, than has been done before or to gain more speed than had been done before. And he up, succeeds. Succeeds, <laughs> gets hit with some kind of ray, ends up going through a wormhole into deep space and meeting aliens. It's uh, It's pretty much Buck Rogers if you think about it. In a lot of ways, it is very much Buck Rogers, except yeah. he doesn't go into the future. He just goes into deep space. Well, that we know of, <laughs> unless, unless they reveal that he hadn't actually gone into another time. Well, not, I think ball. in later seasons, he does eventually make it back to Earth. Oh, nice. And not, you know, not a, a tremendous amount of time at best. Okay. Um, but it starts off with uh, Michael, not Michael Crichton, that's the author, John Crichton. <laughs> I wondered if he was named after Michael Crichton. I'm sure actually. he was. <laughs> yeah. John Crichton, the astronaut, uh, looking at the launch pad and, and looking really intense for some reason. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how good he does intense, though. <laughs> no, he <laughs> doesn't. Very... Ben Browder is the actor's name. Um, it's a very, you know, he's a dude, dude, you know. <laughs> very much. He's frat boy in space, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I thought the MacGuffin was interesting, wanting to increase speed using the Earth's gravitational well. Well, yeah, the the, the slingshot, right? Yeah. The, the, I mean, they don't call it that in sci-fi, but or yeah, that's right. He used the slingshot again in one of the other episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they bring that technique back. Um, but it was a nice, you know, scientifically sound, at least on paper. You know, at yeah. least at a glance, MacGuffin, which is nice. Um, totally. Like the techno music during the launch. <laughs> Very late 90s. 
Yeah, uh, brings back some good memories, honestly. <laughs> and launching from space was a nice touch. He goes up in a shuttle, and yeah. then his craft, the Farscape, hence the name of the show, yeah. launches from the shuttle. That That's, again, something you don't really see in soft sci-fi. Because I'm not going to call this show hard sci-fi by any means. <laughs> it's space fantasy. It's space opera. Um, yeah, but it was nice to see him launching from space. You don't see that too often. The wormhole effect looked good. And then uh, he gets into the into the other reaches of the galaxy. Flies right into the middle of a dogfight. It's uh, I kind of imagined if Woody Allen ever did a sci-fi movie. Uh-huh. Yeah. That is exactly what it would look like, where the guy's like, oh, I didn't mean to do that. Yeah. <laughs> it was a nice, we're not in Kansas anymore moment when he sees, you know, what he's flown into the middle of. Yes. <laughs> Accidentally kills a dude's brother. Mm-hmm. A, a very powerful dude. Yes, and, and uh, you know, of course, has revenge sworn upon him. Mm. They he didn't... must be some sort of expert. It's just like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm from Tennessee. <laughs> I like that they didn't waste any time taking the fish out of water. Yeah. You know, by the opening credits, he's already through the wormhole and, and you know, had already killed a dude. Yeah. Great opening theme music, very reminiscent of the um, BSG remake. I don't remember which came first. Uh, I, I was thinking the uh, old alien, the alienation theme. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's very, you know, you got to have that, like, choral mm-hmm. tone. Big chorus, lots of rhythm, lots of drums. Yeah. It was very nice. Um, yeah. He's, he's brought in by this massive ship, um, tractored in. And his ship is on fire. So, of course, he jumps out and puts out the fire. There's no moment of, can I breathe out there? Right. Which is kind of surprising. I guess he was on instinct. <laughs> he fortunately could. It's been a very short show. <laughs> very Monty Python, just rolling the credits. Well, or, the, or maybe he passes out and they revive him. And, yeah. Um, I like that the before he had the injection of the translator microbes, a nice twist on the babblefish. Right. Um, the languages didn't sound like they were being made by humans. Yeah. Loved some of the makeup. I mean, it's Henson. Yeah, I wondered about that. I didn't realize that this was a Henson thing. Mm-hmm. I wondered why everything looked so good. Yeah. Well, the makeup looks great. The practical stuff looks great. Yes. The CG is very 99. Oh, yeah. You know, it's a, it's on a budget, so, you know. It, you know, it's it's passable. Yeah, um, loved Dargo's makeup. Um, Pilot's design is just iconic. Um, I like that Moya, the ship who is alive, starts off restrained. Right, I uh, yeah, forgotten it was a living thing, even though they keep mentioning that yeah. until a few episodes in, where mm-hmm. it's just like, uh, oh yeah, this they is won't, a thing. They want to keep reminding you at the beginning. Um, yeah. I have a bunch of notes on the characters in this one just because this is the introduction. Um, I both love and hate Rigel. Yeah, I realized by the fourth episode that uh, I-, I could live without Rigel. That it, it just, I mean, I get it. You need the thief in the mm-hmm. party because that's he's what this is, a, you know. Well, yeah, but he's not even the thief. Yeah. They bring a character later in in later uh, Kiana who is a proper rogue. Is um, it played by Ted McGinley in the the last season? No. Okay. Um, she's a proper rogue. Um, 
Rigel is more the diplomat. Ah, but he doesn't even do that well. But, well, <laughs> no, but that's that's kind of his role. At least yeah. when he's doing when he's doing something useful, he's the diplomat. But he is a, a thoroughly opportunistic bastard, which I he's, love. Uh, he's Jar Jar Binks at the same time that. Jar yeah, Jar that's the part I don't like. Yeah. <laughs> he's the comic relief, and you know, I was also thinking: is it problematic that? back in the 90s that every like sci-fi thing had to have like tribal sounding drums to signify aliens as if that was like an otherworldly yeah, thing true i mean just as an aesthetically musically i dig that sound but yeah that's a good oh, of point. course but it kind of feels like it's shorthand for this is not of this planet yeah, true. <laughs> um although bsg was all human yeah um and then they did that but um I love how Zan, the cleric, completely infantilizes Dargo. <laughs> she does that to everybody, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you need to find that out in later episodes. I, I have that in a later episode, but yeah, she's just... I love how morally gray she is and how she's just really the biggest asshole of all of them. But she just <laughs> does it behind everybody's back in most cases. Um, but yeah, so you've got Zan, the cleric, Dargo the Barbarian, as he's officially yeah. called in a later episode. Um, uh, she, she even called, yeah, even calls oh. him a barbarian. Um, Aaron, who is essentially the fighter. Yeah. He, Rigel, initially is kind of the rogue, but eh. Um, I don't know exactly how to classify Crichton. Well, yeah, he's kind of the off-worlder. Um, uh, and, you know, I think... You know, there's a few things I really liked about this series, and, and one of them was that, you know, there wasn't a human exceptionalism mm-hmm. that that right. Star Trek and yeah, yeah, most sci-fi actually, you know, we're the ones that go out and we just naturally are leaders, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah. everybody just kind of listens to us and our our wisdom and stuff. He's and bumbling. here, he's you know the country bumpkin yeah. <laughs> of the universe. He's Han Solo in New Hope, but not as opportunistic and not as good at fighting. Uh, I'm trying to think about like a Coen Brothers character. Okay, yeah, probably more <laughs> fitting. But with Star Wars, because uh, obviously there's a lot of Star Wars in this. Some, um, yeah, I find a lot more trick. I, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah, the fantasy overlay of you know the mm-hmm. pirate, the you know, but the wizard, the, the little robots with the eye stalks. Very Star Wars, very, very much, true. You know, very true. Those little box droids. Um, Creighton mentions he's a scientist, but he seems more like the jock pilot, whereas his brother <laughs> was the real scientist. Yeah, you know, his brother was the one who came up with the theory. At least that's the, the idea I got. And and Creighton was just the jock who drives the ship. I also like that the aliens, as advanced as they are don't really know how things work <laughs> yeah no, they're just as lost as the human at, at times right like they didn't even like him introducing the slingshot concept and they're all like wait what well and they don't really know how the ship works i mean no. pilot does because pilot is this pilot's this giant alien who is physically connected to moya they're they're yeah. sort of a i want to say parasitic but it's that sort of relationship they're, but it's just like us, though. I mean, we we have all of these cool things, but mm-hmm. none yeah. of us would know how to make a smartphone. Right, <laughs> exactly. Our devices. Right. 
<laughs> yeah, the aliens aren't like super intelligent either. Right. It's just like we've got this cool thing, then we're used to how you know things work, mm-hmm. and and you know we're just gonna take it for granted, kind yeah. of. And boy, that guy's dumb for not knowing it, but they really don't know uh-huh. it either. <laughs> That's, I think, why the show works uh, to a large extent, because it does borrow from a ton of things, and it is very TV. Yeah. But there is not one Marty Stu, Mary Sue kind of character. <laughs> yeah, at first I thought he was going to be, and I was like, you know, thinking I was in trouble mm-hmm. in that first episode of like, he's going to be Marty Stu, isn't he, where he's just going to know <laughs> how to do everything. No. And then I was pleasantly surprised Everybody to see him fallible. Just bumbling <laughs> yeah and everybody does that's the beauty of it yeah i now i said all of the practical effects look great there was one exception the big insectoid alien that rigel was haggling with looked very fake i'm trying to remember in the first episode he was haggling they with, go oh. to this town oh yeah yeah <laughs> i did like uh the exchange when aaron and uh triton were leaving the ship she says, what's that in reference to the, his, his ship? That's cutting-edge technology. And she says, we're taking mine. <laughs> and just the way all through these episodes, how they were evolving the chemistry between those two. Yeah. You know, there is a bit of a will-they-won't thing throughout. Of course. You know, and, and I don't remember how it resolved. I don't think I watched long enough. Um now there was a reference to you know the the empire's ship. I don't remember exactly what they were called, but they um, were basically the empire, um, the, the peacekeepers. Oh, the peacekeeper. They they're the empire. Um, uh, the ship having a frag cannon. Crichton, the human, does not know what a frag cannon is. Frag cannon is pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, I mean, it's got fragmentation the word cannon. cannon. <laughs> Anything that has cannon in it, just, I mean, just BFG. That's cannon BFG, stuff. yes. But also frag, fragmentation. It oh, fires, yeah, yeah, sure. part, you know, fragments of, of something at you. Um, again, like I said, like how they brought back that MacGuffin to, to escape the peacekeepers. Um, also, you mentioned Trek. Dargo is basically a Klingon. Yes. Um, you didn't watch Babylon 5, did you? No. Zan is pretty much a Mimbari, well, uh, the sort of the the elven race from, from B5. Okay. Um, and I did like Crichton's ending monologue. I, I like that there was that wonder of, like, I'm I'm on an alien world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, holy shit. <laughs> I think there should have been a little bit more of that wonder further into the series, but I guess they didn't want to get too uh, annoyed You don't want to overdo it. that, you know. How does one get used to that, though, if you're just like, you're on this planet, and then you're suddenly somewhere else? I mean, think about it, if you've, like, traveled somewhere, you know, you're just like, holy shit, I'm on the other side of this ocean or whatever, yeah, you know? Yeah, true, true. Maybe they did away with it a bit too quickly, but... Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. Although, getting into episode two, um, they there is a bit at the beginning when he's introduced to the Dentic. Oh, yeah. The dental worm, a worm that cleans your teeth. Very Douglas Adams. Or yes, Flintstones, very. I don't know. <laughs> well, Douglas probably got it from the Flintstones. Yeah. But Dargo basically forces it in his mouth, and it's it's a very funny scene where um, he looks kind of violated by it. <laughs> 
I mean, it should have had the bug afterwards, you know, close upon him going, yeah, it's your living. <laughs> Just like the Flintstones. <laughs> um, and I know that the, the bugs in the episode, the one, the bigger bugs, were supposed to be scary, but they were just kind of cute. Uh, yeah, I was wondering what your uh, feelings on this episode were going to be. Well, because they weren't, like, they, they didn't look at all real. Okay. You know, they looked like nah, animatronic, really. kind of, yeah. sort of bugs. They weren't scary. Um, although, it was nice to get a pseudo-horror episode nice and Yeah. Alike. Yeah, I was very surprised by that. I was not expecting that. The only other series I've seen do that, I think it was episode three for Firefly, did the horror thing. Mm, right. And I think Trek kind of went there sometimes, but I mean, mm. not quite like mm. this. Not really. Um, their ship is infested with these bugs. Yeah. And the bugs kind of take over and start raising the temperature. They're using it as an incubator. Yeah. Um, and Aaron is very sensitive to temperature. Her whole species, they basically, they don't sweat. I wonder, should she have something different about her other than just, you know, internal things? Well, she you doesn't know? sweat. Well, right. But, you know, like mm. the deep space, not, you know, like the bajurans and the wrinkles over the oh, nose. Yeah, kind visually, of thing. maybe there should have been some difference. Just Although, a little something, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Like, Trek was really good with that, I think, where there was like, where these people have spots on them, Trek kind of. better. <laughs> yes, it, of course. I mean, the bajurans I liked. They were nice and subtle. Yeah. Um, but that the bugs were creating these doubles was a nice twist. Yes. And that, that scene with the arm coming off, oh, just, God, I yeah. mean, fucking great. And when, I think it was Zan, just suddenly beats the shit out of Crichton. <laughs> yeah. Like, because she's kind of dubious like that. You're not super surprised, but it's a bit of a shock. And then, oh, okay, it's a double. I mean, honestly, I was kind of like, well, it was she, only a matter of time. She's a little sketchy. Um Loved the puppeteering on Pilot in the scene with Aaron. She's having a conversation with Pilot, who is huge, by the way. The puppet is about probably eight feet tall. Really? I mean, just in looking at it in scale to to the actor. Because there's a wide shot where you can see them both side by side. I paused it and took a close look. Oh, yeah? He looks like he's about eight, ten feet tall. Um, And the puppeteering on him is brilliant. Like... Particularly on his mouth. You can almost read his lips. Is it a person inside, or is it like a job of the hut where it's multiple Pure puppet. people? Pure puppet, controlled by multiple people. Um, so the the detail they got into was brilliant. Um, oh, wait, was Jabba the Hutt a pure puppet in Jedi? Yeah, was a, yeah Jabba was a puppet. Yeah. Um, but he didn't have the, the dexterity in, in the mouth that Pilot had. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of... You know, that that was brilliant. And his, his facial expressions loved all that. Um, the hatching bugs looked kind of fake. You know, the the bugs in general just didn't look great in this one. It was an 8 o'clock show. Maybe they didn't want it to get too scary. <laughs> yeah. Another odd thing, Creighton's double looked taller than him. Because you see the two next to each other. The double looked taller. <laughs> I don't know how they did that. I guess maybe just in different... Well, they could know, they could have just given him lifts it. Yeah. Practically, it's not hard, but why would his double be taller? Use too many dumb Earth references, you know? He's, like, the dumb, he's the dumb guy. Like, if you call something a Xerox in front of somebody that's, you know, 
not been to your planet, they're not going to know what a fucking Xerox is. I'm guessing the interpreter, the translator droids, not only translate, but they also kind of reword it into something the person you're talking to will understand. Give the references, huh? Well, no, because he, like, in another episode, brings up John Wayne or something yeah, like yeah. that. Oh, that, and Dargo's like, is that the one who... Right. Yeah. So they'd been talking about John Wayne. So, yeah. I don't know why Dargo got Xerox, or anybody got Xerox. Maybe they're just ignoring him, and they don't give a shit about the references, so they just let it go. Oh, maybe it is like a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where it's like, what's the monkey person doing now? Yeah, exactly. Um... <laughs> He says some pretty weird things. And I liked Crichton after fighting his double and beheading him, walking in, carrying his head Medusa style, or, or you know, um, Perseus style. He has a, a very Jim Carrey look. Yeah. He's, you remember that, that Letterman bet the dumb guy? Ooh, um... he, he plays the dumb guy in, in, when he does the acting roles? That's Crichton. Crichton is the dumb guy. <laughs> I did like the diplomatic resolution with the bugs. My God, could you imagine if they'd like casted Chris Elliott? Oh God, that would that would have been kind of interesting. Um, <laughs> yes, it would have. They Crichton finds a way to make peace with the bugs and come to an understanding where he will allow you to reproduce on our ship or to to hatch on our ship. Just don't raise the temperature beyond a certain point because you don't want to kill our crewmate. It was a very Star Trekian episode. Yeah. Like, in fact. It's pretty much the last two arcs of Discovery. <laughs> you know, crisis, you know, people could die. It, well, in this case, nobody died at least, so it was a little bit more believable. Right. And then, oh, LOL, it was just a big old misunderstanding. You mentioned Trek again, and I just yeah. realized Crichton is Kirk in the 2009 movie at the beginning. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Definitely. I think maybe the writers of that movie borrowed a little bit of uh, Crichton from Farscape. I did like um, Rigel's sudden bravery when they were trying to talk him into negotiating with the bugs. <laughs> you know, he, he flat out refused to do it because he's a coward, essentially. Yeah. Until they, they bring up his legacy. The rich always care about their legacy. <laughs> and I don't know if Dargo's sword was fully revealed in this one at the end or not. No, I don't think it was. We see it, but I don't think we get the full reveal yeah. until a later episode. I love his weapon. We'll get into it later. Oh, yeah. And this, I mean, this episode also, I mean, it had it was a very nicely written episode because mm-hmm. it had this lesson about appreciating and being a lower life form. Yeah. And what that really means. We had that, dis- that, that diplomatic resolution without spoiling the ending, which I almost forgot because I didn't have any specific notes about it. The yeah. peacekeepers find them, and yeah. these basically it, it starts with these peacekeeper commandos um, on the other side of this debris field, which you can kind of tell is a swarm. Yeah, um, and so they can't see each other, or the, they can't see the, the Moya. Um, the commandos find them at the end of the episode and, and board the ship, and they're all peacekeepers, so the heat isn't good for them either, and and so the the bugs ended up helping. The, the crew of the Moya to defeat the peacekeepers. It was a very nice, you know, peaceful thing. Oh, well, yeah. not peaceful for the peacekeepers. No. <laughs> On to episode three. Um, the interior of the ship that they find was a bit Earth Girls are easy. Oh, yeah, I could see that. I, I think I saw that or a part of it a few months ago, so it was on my brain. 
This was a weird one this episode because it was kind of like at first you're wondering what the angle is yeah. and why and she's acting so bad. The title is Back to Back to Back to the Future. So I'm thinking it's temporal fuckery. And and then we get this little hint of like a love potion thing. So I'm like, are they going to combine the two? Well, she's yeah, she's acting so weird from the beginning. Oh, Matala, the alien woman? Yeah. Yeah, she and had a weird vibe like, from God. Why is she... Why is she acting? Is like, you know, is this hypnosis or is there something going on here? You know, he's having these weird visions. Crichton's having these weird visions yeah, of fucking her. Alien woman. They and pick then up this fire. They find this ship that's about to implode. They rescue everybody from it. They bring the ship on. Um, and it's a man and a woman who from a species who are genetically uh, linked to Dargo's species, um, and. and the woman is is just behaving oddly. Crichton has some weird fantasies about her, and Dargo, who who is helping them because they're genetic cousins, seems to be getting kind of obsessed with her. The fantasies at the same time turn very violent towards yeah, the yeah. end. So then he's very confused, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Zan has another great dig. Uh, Aaron says, "What's wrong with him?" in reference to Crichton, and she says, "He is Crichton." <laughs> and and I was wondering about halfway through because the title promised temporal fuckery, but it was really just turning into this love story, love potion story. I'm glad I missed the episode title because it was kind of fun to just be surprised yeah, by like, yeah. wait, what? <laughs> fifteen minutes. Actually, it was about fifteen <laughs> minutes in. They finally introduced the fact that Crichton is having visions of the future. Yeah. Um, so yeah, in other words, none of those were fantasies. Those were all possible futures yeah, yeah. where she seduces him and then kills him. And it was basically Groundhog Day for him, but they didn't go ridiculous and comedic with it. Right, and and you kind of wonder if is the black hole itself an entity? You know, was it Morning Crichton? They were the ship that they rescued was imploding because it was holding a particle. Of a black hole. Yeah. I won't get into the physics of capturing a piece of a black hole. <laughs> I, right, I couldn't wrap my head around that either. I and can. That... Okay, black hole, simple terms. It's a star that has collapsed to the point where it is so dense and has so much gravity that even light can't escape it. And how would you break off a piece of that? Exactly. And why would it be green? Okay. It has that kind of gravity. Even if you can escape, you know, let's assume this part of the universe has the technology for faster than light travel. The the Moya does. Presumably their starbursts are, you know, hyperspeed essentially. But, okay, you can escape the gravity of a black hole. Fine. You bring a piece with it, of it with you, it's still going to have that same mass. Like, it's still it, a problem. Doesn't it eat whatever you would try to contain? <laughs> Essentially, yes. Like, how would you come up with a container to hold something that eats everything? Well, I, yeah, this is where my understanding of the physics fails a bit, too, because I don't even know how you would transport <laughs> right. such a thing. Exactly. And without any mention of any kind of special field or stasis it was in to to negate all of that stuff, there was well, no, he, you know, he Heisenberg was compensator. On something to try to, you know, you know, obviously that's what his research was about. 
was having the containment field and he didn't quite have it mastered to, to prolong it and it was you know failing when they came along how he figured out how to keep it in stasis that's what she was waiting for to kill oh, him okay she right. was waiting for him to figure out how to keep it prolonged in stasis mm-hmm. so it could be used as the weapon. Right, right, right. Now, of course, Aaron figures out she's uh, a spy. She's not who she claims she is. She's from an, the enemy race of this race that are, that Dargo's distantly related to. Um, it reminded me of another show, but I can't remember what it was. Um, well, I love the... Uh... The Beverly Hills Cop oh. aerobic outfits. It reminded... That's what it was. Um, the the Saffron episode of Firefly. When Inara hmm. recognizes that Saffron has companion training. Ah. Uh, and they fight. <laughs> I guess the other thing those outfits kind of reminded me of was uh, V. Mm-hmm. The, red, uh, the, the um, red padded dresses or you know skirts or whatever. But it was very much that fight with um, Anara and Saffron where he's like, you're good, but I'm better. <laughs> but I, 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 the fight choreography was hilarious. And I know they can do better because Claudia Black, who plays Aaron, who played Aaron, did better in other episodes. Yeah. <laughs> she handled fight choreography very well in other episodes. In this one, they just had more advanced training as it, the series went on. But the fight choreography was hilarious. The the opening bit where they were kind of in stance before they attacked yeah. looked very much like goth dancing. <laughs> I love how the writers used Crichton to admit that Scorvius, that was the name of the, the enemy species, sounded like scorpions. <laughs> in later episodes, there's a, a, a villain, a, a big bad named Scorpius. I don't think he's a Scorpius. Um, so, yeah, they went with Scorpion references a lot. But it was, you know, a nice variation on Groundhog Day that didn't get ridiculously comedic. He just had lots of opportunities to work out pos- you know, possible solutions and figure out how to fix the problem. And the only way to get the solution right at the end would have taken a lot of working yeah. through to get it right. A lot of trial and error. <laughs> and when you're dealing with a black hole... Trial and error isn't really a thing. Right. But it was like giving him other chances, you know? It was helping him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it reached out to touch him yeah. when he was there for it, when he and, went into the ship in the beginning. Right. And at least, you know, he got a little revenge for all of Zan's cuts. <laughs> because in previous iterations of this plan that failed, he was holding this mask of hers. And he accidentally breaks it. Either he drops it or he grips it too strong and and cracks it. In the one where he finally figures it out, he puts it on the ground and steps on it deliberately. (laughs) He's he's just changing everything. Instead of accidentally breaking it, he's going to deliberately break it. And then he's going to try this plan. And that's the one that works and breaks him out of the time loop. Episode 4. Crichton mocking the alien species names is getting a bit cliche at this point. (laughs) I'm just having to correct him. Yeah. And the firefight at the beginning I thought was a nice touch. Like, before even the opening credits, we get a firefight. It's kind of realistic, though, you know? Not everybody 
is on the same page with what something is called. Well, no, I mean, yeah, but it, like mispronouncing them, wondering, you know, being curious, like I don't quite, un- how do I say this is fine. Calling them something kind of derogatory and offhanded and smartass was... Mm. Like, it, it reminds me of the story, oh, I forgot who it was, that came up to George Lucas to ask him, you know, should should we all pronounce Han Solo's name, or you know, the uh-huh. same way? You know, like, you know, Billy D. Williams is saying Han, and, you know, he's saying right. Han, and, and, and he just said, well... Everybody, if we have different accents on the planet Earth, that's a good point. Isn't everybody in outer space going to have different right, <laughs> dialects, right. accents, and pronunciations? Oh, just a side note. I don't know if we got the same ads, but did you see ads for Farmer Wants a Wife? Why, yes, I did. Is that not something straight out of UHF? Or Kentucky Fried Movie? Either one. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, UHF, I think. I was shocked that it's an actual reality show on Fox of all Wouldn't places. Would be great if they had like Anthony Geary hosting dressed as his UHF. Uh... Yeah, yeah. I thought it was either a parody from some other ad, or you know, it was on some random cable channel. No, it's an actual <laughs> reality show on Fox. Yeah, um, that's where we're at now. Back to the show. Yes. Kidnapping Rigel was a nice swerve. I didn't think anybody valued him. Well, because he lied about his value. Right, he lies about not being deposed. Like he's still the regent of all of the of this entire planet, and no, his brother deposed him. The metal music was interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> like I'm okay. <laughs> so at the end of this opening firefight with this these aliens who, not in appearance but in in vibe, were very much the rhinoceros guys from Fifth Element. Yeah. Um, and to quote William Defoe, it was a firefight. Yeah. Um, but they capture one of them, they remove this gauntlet that has an injector on it. Very Jemadar. I, I have Jemadar later, my first thought, because Dargo puts on the gauntlet and mm. he's becoming Bane. Oh. Batman. Because Bane yeah. had all that, that. It basically had a constant permanent roid injection. And we get roid ragey Dargo. But actually, Jembadar wasn't the first time they had done this concept in Trek. Okay. Uh, if, if you go back to watch the encounter at Farpoint, the the pilot of Next Generation, mm. they they talk about soldiers uh, in in like kind of a post apocalyptic Earth. Okay. Where they they are you know constantly mm. fed drugs, I... like they have a tube. The Q goes through like our history. Uh-huh. And uh, like different yeah. villains in our history and, and bad actors, and yeah, when he gets past our timeline, he has this drugged out trooper hmm. kind of thing. I've always said I wanted a show set around the eugenics war and World War Three and all that. Wow, I mean, that there is a, a couple books, okay, about uh, you know Khan hmm. and his. Uh... <laughs> but that's a part of the history that they never got to. They never go back. Before, like, like Discovery, early, you know, first two seasons of Discovery are the furthest they've gone back. I'd love to go back to, like, when Earth changed. I mean, Enterprise, but, I mean, before oh, that even, yeah. you know. But, like, yeah, before that, the war that kind of brought about the Federation and all that, I'd love to see that. Anyway. I guess they talk about it on Deep Space Nine with some of those early ep- those episodes, like the one with the riot. Mm. Back to uh, Farscape. 
Yes. Um, loved Roid Ragey Dargo. Um, and at <laughs> yes. one point, Pilot uh, hails, I think Crichton says, Dargo's getting angry. Do something. That would have worked in pretty much any episode. <laughs> He's worf. Yeah. He really was very much worf. Right. Uh, oh, and, and they try knocking him out, like putting him to sleep using a gas. Yeah, give the guy who's juiced up on roids a, a sleeping gas. It was a very, you know, nice slapsticky kind of thing. Yeah. I like the, you know, the tractor beam thing. They're like, what's that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> he asks, um, Crichton asks Pilot at one point to use the tractor beam to bring a ship in. And they called, I forget what they called it, but something whip. Docking web, Docking I think. Whip. Um, and docking web, maybe. Um, yeah. Whip or web, I wasn't sure. I thought it was web. Could be either. I'm not sure. Could be either. Web makes yeah. more sense. Um, but yeah, that's what they call the docking web. And, and it was just nice to have the, the piss taken out of tractor beam. <laughs> well, because the, the thing is, you would pull a sh- You could also pull a ship with it, you know, kind of like a <laughs> yeah, true, true. tugboat sort of thing. But I mean, the first time I think we ever we hear it is in Star Wars: New Hope. Uh, tractor beam. Yeah. Was that the first tractor beam? Oh, maybe not. Okay. You know what? Maybe it was in Trek, original series. I'm sure it goes back longer than that. I'd have to look into it. Um, back to Who Farscape? invented the tractor beam? <laughs> Liked the arguing between Rigel and his cellmate. <laughs> the cellmate is kind of like this. Uh, you know, we don't see him, you know, perfectly, but I no. think, you know, we get enough of an idea of what he, he has is. tentacles. Yeah. He's basically a giant octopus. Um, Aaron putting on the gauntlet was a surprise. Oh, yeah. You'd think she would have more control than to do that. But, of course, once she put it on, you knew who else was going to put it on, too. Yeah, Creighton had to put it on eventually. And I've got it. The term tractor beam was coined by E.E. E. Smith in the his novel space hounds of ipc in 1931 that's further than i would have expected like the 50s was kind of a golden age right. sci-fi. i'm surprised it went back further than that yeah that's amazing to that. about someone right. thinking about that in the 30s like how quickly dargo was used to get the gauntlet away from aaron uh, <laughs> love his gun sword yeah he has a but... sword that turns into a rifle it's straight out of anime you're kind of like, well, you know, when they're like, well, what good is that going to do us? And then he like shows them the whole, yeah, it's got a little bit of a surprise. <laughs> it's ridiculous and brilliant. And I love it. Um, and again, straight out of anime. I, I also like, you know, Crichton not being the Marty Sue, you know, yeah. blows up the gun. <laughs> right, right. Because <laughs> he never used it before. Mm-hmm. He overcharged the, uh, the, the, um, batteries or he hit, something he hit the wrong button exactly. and luckily figured out that he hit the wrong button before. i feel like somebody's done that before like i've seen that gag in something else though oh yeah similar buck rogers safer situation where someone's dealing with technology far advanced than they know hits the wrong button and blows something up do you think they really take a weapon up. that was that easy to uh to blow up i mean i feel like it, particularly when it's a weapon the more damage it can do, the more careful you have to be with it. Exactly. So like you would want that accidentally going off. But they don't <laughs> expect it to be in the hands of someone who's not trained. Yeah, but I mean that's the thing with a gun. 
it finds right, its true. way. Um, and it's not good. They head fake the deaths of major characters a bit too often, I think, on this show, at least in these episodes. Because yeah. you know none of them are going to die. Yeah. I was kind of rooting for Rigel. Although Rigel <laughs> does die, he's just revived. Yeah, god damn it. <laughs> like I said, I have a love-hate relationship with Rigel. Um, I appreciate his, his ruthless opportunism. Um, yeah. But he's also kind of annoying. I mean, he's a regal, salacious crumb. Very well put, yes, yes. And I look forward to the Disney Channel doing a salacious crumb series. Oh god, I can totally see that. <laughs> Actually, I can totally see totally see a Viv Fortuna series that's going to feature. Do you think he'd do a Salacious Crumb series or movie? Put more of a movie, um, just so we can get that laugh in the trailer. Loved Rigel's honesty after he was revi- revived, admitting because it totally screws over the guy who was about to screw him over. That <laughs> you know his brother deposed him. Only people who know where he is are other convicts who he who are coming to find him. He has no value. Nobody's going to fucking pay for him. And why is there a brig on a prison ship? Yeah, you'd figure it's all brig. Yeah. Unless maybe something happens to the crew, the proper crew. Maybe they need to be locked up, but then you just throw them in with the others. And if it was a prison transport ship, you would have a much larger brig or multiple brigs. True, true. Loved the coward barbarian thing with Aaron and Dargo, establishing that he is the barbarian. There's some weird S&M shit for Dargo's meds. <laughs> Making the blood run clear. Oh, yeah, like when she had to, like, beat the like, shit out of him to get... He what are gets, we watching here? <laughs> he gets shot with a gauntlet. Yes. And he's bleeding, and he's coll- he collapsed, and again, faking the death of a cast member, of a main cast member. Oh, and yeah. They're trying to, to fix him up, and apparently Aaron has to beat some sort of infection out of his blood. Out of the four episodes we watched, both Dargo and Aaron has, uh, both have C-3PO moments of, I'm done for, go on without yeah, me. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this is kind of, you know, when she's like really going to town on him, I'm kind of like, from behind. Yeah. What are we watching here? I mean, you also have like S&M moments. Um, Dargo has a D-clip in him. He has a D-ring in his chest. Huh. All right. All right. So, um, this was also the first incident of Rigel swallowing something valuable. It's a thing that happens recurring throughout the series. Oh, like that, at, at the, in the closing moments, we established that the, the alien warrior, um, who they were fighting with at the beginning, who they took the gauntlet from, chose to yeah. put it back on, even after Zan had weaned, weaned him off of it. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, it's easy to go back on. It was a really nice uh, reference to addiction. Yeah. So, are you going to keep watching? If I had time, definitely. I kind of wish we'd, we'd had more time to, to get all six in. It was a time thing and not a, oh my god, I can't watch any more of this. I mean, I there's no it. deadline at this point. You can just watch an episode whenever you have time that and is true. eventually finish it. That is true. I'm probably going to finish it, cause, just because I didn't last time. I think I maybe got into the second season. Um, I would like to see how it, how it like, 
how it ends, particularly in in the in in the miniseries. I yeah, I'm gonna keep going too. It's it's very TV. It's a very of its time, but it's yeah, a lot better than most TV sci-fi, particularly of the '90s. I I I got definitely got into it more than Star Trek Voyager. Yeah. Um, and after watching Space 1999, this was like Chaucer. <laughs> I feel like the late '90s, early thousands, Voyager aside, was kind of a golden age for sci-fi. Because yeah, you had this, you had uh, Firefly, Space Above and Beyond, which is also brilliant. Don't we have DS9? DS9 is kind of the early, mid-90s. I think it was 94. But yeah, that was. I think that was kind of the beginning of I it all. I think it started in uh, 94, but it was... It, it ran to like know, 98. It ran to like uh, 01, I think, right? No, it was, oh, you're right. It was seven seasons. That's why it took me so long to get there. So, yeah, DS9 was running through all of that. And, yeah, because it ran concurrent with... Yeah, it definitely ran concurrent with it later. Um, and that was a huge mistake, I thought. And I jumped ship from one to the other, which was a mistake, too. Um, you can tell which way I jumped. Um, but <laughs> I think DS9 showed that science fiction could be done in a, in a really elevated, mature way. It's the only weird thing about DS9 is that the universe that Roddenberry built, uh, I guess it wasn't really sustainable to write actual drama in because mm. we we didn't have money. But now in Deep Space Nine, we have money. <laughs> you know, with and and just you know, tangentially track for a moment. You know, with with Next Gen, they learned if you hand Star Trek to Shakespearean actors. It's good. Yeah. And then with DS9, they evolved it a little more and handed it to some really great writers. Yeah. I mean, Ronald Moore got to start there. Um, so I feel like that was kind of the step up for science fiction that led to this and Firefly and Space 99. Or not Space 99. Um, space Above, space above <laughs> and Beyond. Sorry. Now I, I realize and I didn't watch this because I thought... Oh, look, the, let's oh, not sorry. forget X-Files. Um, oh, yeah. You know, also another great sci-fi show. Anyway. But I didn't watch this back when it was on because I felt like the the advertising just felt a little desperate with, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the cleric, you yeah, know, yeah. in her makeup and just kind yeah, of yeah. hamming it up. And uh, I was just kind of like, oh, okay. I was surprised uh, that they showed her full ass in one scene. <laughs> well, I mean, that's probably from Australian TV. It was probably censored yeah, on sci-fi. But uh, the looking it up it um you know it also had a really crazy schedule where like even fans couldn't keep track of when the hell it was on because yeah. this was you know pre uh dvr and i think it was a similar situation to firefly where they didn't know what they had and they didn't value it as much as they should have well at least in the u.s i, I mean i think in other countries it had a a fair shake Speaking of sci-fi from other countries, from around this time, and the Sci-Fi Channel, we need to do Lex at some point. I, I mean, yeah, Did there's a lot of sci-fi out there. Not really. Oh, that'll be interesting. And that's it for the TV show. Always remember, never forget, until next time, wherever you go, there you are. You are. Anyway, that's it for the hearing. Um, oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. We watched something. <laughs> yes, uh, that's next. Um... <laughs>